us, Lord Jesus, ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would help us to understand that and apply that to our lives and live out of it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I am about the least musical person on the planet, but I want to start with a music analogy that I think even I can do. I'm going to play something very familiar to you. That is the extent of my music abilities. Uh, In that scale, the basic scale, uh, is a pattern that the scholar Jeremy Begbie calls home, away, home. So, home, away, home again. And you can hear that pattern in most Western music, whether it's chords that create dissonance and then resolution, or, uh, or the verse, chorus, verse structure of most pop music, home, away, home. And from the beginning, you can sort of anticipate where it's going to end, can't you? That is, when we hear this, we want and expect this. In fact, if you're living in an apartment building and your neighbor plays this, it'll drive you crazy. And you will run up three flights of stairs just to play this, right? Because there's something about this that's just really unsatisfying and it just leaves us kind of feeling that's going to bug you, isn't it? And you're not going to listen to the rest of the sermon unless I play... There you go. All right. Home, away, home. And we have this sense that there is this other place that we're going. But that second home is not exactly the same as the first, at least when you play the scales. It's an octave higher. That is, we've been on a journey, and we arrive back at a place that is familiar, but it's not the exact same place. It's been transformed. It's something different, but it's familiar. That is the story of the Bible. We start in a home, Eden, And then we rebel, so we're away from that home with all the mess and junk of this world. But by the end of the Bible in Revelation, we are home again, but not back to the garden. It's a new place. It's a new heaven and a new earth. And this is an important concept, and so let me just take a minute here. You've heard me say this before. Our our, our image of heaven is all messed up. It is not disembodied souls floating on clouds playing harps. That's Bugs Bunny cartoons, okay? And one should never take their theology from Bugs Bunny. Heaven is this earth with all of the sin and death and pain taken away. It's a real physical place. We will have physical bodies. There'll be mountains and rivers and trees and chocolate tort and really great beer and no synchronized swimming in the Olympics. Okay. This is just a biblical teaching. Don't, you can say amen to that if you'd like, right? This earth restored, repaired, in a word, revived. Home, away, home. And that is the deeper meaning of what Jesus is all about. And this is so important because we've been messed up. Our, we've just gotten all messed up by culture and all kinds of stuff. Okay, this is crucial. Okay, you have heard it said that being a Christian is, a, is that Jesus died to pay the price for our sins so that if we believe in him, we can go to heaven. Okay, and then there's some fine print about being good, tithing, and being nice to cats. Right? Okay, that version of Christianity is like this picture. Okay, you really kind of can't tell what that is because it's just some pixels of a much larger picture, which is this. And when we say that following Jesus is just about getting into heaven, that's what we do. We reduce Jesus all the way down. The real Jesus is so much bigger, so much more exciting than that. This is critical. Jesus did not talk about going to heaven. Jesus talked about heaven coming to earth. On earth as it is in 
heaven, right? It's what he called the kingdom of God, the inbreaking of God to make all things new, to bring our lost home back, to play that final note on the scale. That's what following Jesus is about. And that version of Jesus is so much more interesting, right? And in fact, even the resurrection of Jesus, that's what that shows. The resurrection of Jesus is the first example of how God has begun to make all things new, continuing through today, being done when Jesus finally returns. And another word for that is revival. Now, that word revival, it's got all kinds of baggage. It conjures tent meetings and preachers trying to get you to convert. But that's that small version of Jesus again. The real Jesus is about reviving lots of things. Yes, bringing people to faith, but also reviving marriages and families and people in poverty and neighborhoods and all kinds of things. And this matters because to me, this is so much more interesting version of Jesus than the you better believe in Jesus so you go to heaven thing. Right? To me, that version of Jesus just turns following Jesus into some kind of boring, dull Victorian tea party fit only for your Aunt Millie, and, and I think even she nods off on that. Not enough energy. There's a sign I've seen in a couple of shops lately, and, and maybe you've seen it too, that I like a lot. It says, unattended children will be given a shot of espresso and a puppy. <laughs> it's kind of an f- image, isn't it? Right? And I like, there's just a lot of energy, a lot of adventure in that image. That's more what following Jesus is like. Energy, adventure, as we follow him, as he makes all things new. And that's the meaning of the vision the prophet Ezekiel has. We looked at this scripture last week, but I didn't feel I got it right, so I'm taking a second pass at it. Now, the background is the Israelites have been defeated by the Babylonians, who sacked Jerusalem, burned the temple to the ground, and carted a bunch of Jews off to exile in Babylon. So, home, away, and now they're waiting for their new home. And the vision where God, this vision where God brings dry bones back to life is a vision of recreation, of revival. In fact, all kinds of imagery that ties to the Genesis creation account, I can't go into it, but it's all over this passage. It is a vision of revival. Revival means literally to put life back into, to revivify. That's why God says, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. That's revival. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel home, away, home. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And that phrase, you will know that I am the Lord, is repeated 60 times in the book of Ezekiel, three times in this passage alone. Right? That the, that the whole point of this vision is so that the Israelites will know that God is Lord, not just in their heads, but in their hearts. Right? But not just any old Lord, a particular kind of Lord. Right? That unlike the false idols that they worship, For that matter, unlike any other God in any religion today, this is the Lord who makes all things new. This is the Lord who brings our lost home back. This is the Lord who completes the scale and plays that final note, who revives. And again, Jesus' resurrection is is the best example of this. Here's the point of the resurrection. God is so alive that even when he died, he turned death back into life. That's what this God does. And that is a much bigger view of God than the Israelites had. Because you see, like us, they had a very small view of God, like that picture I showed you, just a little bit of God. They thought that, that, the, that God was just their national God, right? There was God for the Babylonians, God for the Egyptians, and God was just one of those gods. And God lived in the temple, and that's the only place God was, was in the temple. But in exile, they discover that God is God of the whole earth. He's even in Babylon. 
And he meets them not just when they're victorious in battle, but also when they're defeated and in exile, not just in the home places, but in the away places as well. So if you feel in exile, if you feel that God has abandoned you, here's the good news. It is often in exile that we get a bigger picture of who God is and his power to revive and make all things new and play that final note on the scale. And that's what today's mission fair is about. The theme this year is breaking poverty. It is on every page of scripture, God's passion to revive the poor. You cannot miss it. It is everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. God wants to revive people out of poverty. Because ultimately, poverty is not so much an economic issue as it is one of relational breakdown. It's people not getting the support they need from community or family to get the tools they need to get out of poverty. Or it's people who are trapped in destructive patterns and destructive habits that are keeping them poor. But again, that's a relational breakdown between them and God. And they don't understand who they were made to be in Christ. They don't get their identity that they were made for more. And God wants to revive those people spiritually, emotionally, economically. And the people that he is called to do that is us. You know, it's interesting that in the Ezekiel passage, when the bones were revived, the text says that together they formed a vast, what? Army. Very good. You were paying attention, right? It doesn't say they revived and then they formed a vast church service, right? A vast Bible study group. Didn't say, you know, a vast revived bones club, you know, with various programs and youth activities for little revived bones. No. Now, those things matter. Those things are important, but they're the means, not the end. They form a vast army. We are revived for a purpose, to be his army and fight alongside him to make all things new. Right? But not in a human war, but a spiritual battle, and our weapon is love. And this revives the world, but you know what? More than that, you know who else it revives? It revives us. And boy, do we need it, because we can get off on some weird things and just get all bent out of shape of just all kinds of things, can't we? And our life can get pretty small pretty quick. The church I worked at in California was in an affluent suburban neighborhood. And and one day this man came in and was yelling at the receptionist because he was just furious because every Sunday there were people walking in front of his house going to church. And we asked, well, are the people being disruptive? And he said, no, but they bother me. They're just there. Well, you can totally see his point, right? I mean, there are a few things more terrifying than a bunch of Presbyterians going to church, right? The, the horror, right? I mean, suburbs are dangerous places, guys. Suburbs are dangerous places. They do soul damage. They really do. Because they, they teach us to live for security and comfort, and that just shrinks our world, and we become the princess and the pea, and pretty soon the smallest things make us uncomfortable and unhappy. And I am no different than that man. I am just like that man. Just ask my wife. The smallest things can set me off, right? Uh, we're out of ketchup. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good pastors? You know, why have you forsaken me? But as that man was yelling, as sometimes when I find myself fussing or I see other people fussing, I just think, man, if I could bring your 22-year-old self back, that adventurous, idealistic self back, and he saw you in this moment with 22-year-old you be happy about who he became. And I think for most of us, the answer is no. I know it is for me when I'm fussing about something. I think the answer is no. The deep inside of us, I think we're kind of all saying, somebody help me. Right? There's a really cool 22-year-old trapped in a fussy old man's body. Get me out. Right? And some of you are cool 22-year-olds. Beware, right? Just be, let this be example, okay? Don't do this. 
But it's as we partner with Jesus, as he makes all things new, that we get made new as well. This summer, I got to have lunch with Rich Stearns. He's president of World Vision, a Christian relief organization. And he told me a story that he's told in some of his books about when he, was, uh, when he got engaged, he was a brand new Christian, and his wife said, you know, it's time to go register. And he said, well, what's that? Right? He's a guy. He didn't know what that was. And, 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 and he said, she said, well, you go to a store and you register, and then people buy you silver in China and all of that stuff. And he said, as long as there is one starving kid in this world, we will never have China. We don't need it. That's what Jesus would do. He didn't say how she responded. <laughs> Fast forward 20 years later, guess what he's doing for a living? CEO of Lenox China. Does God have a sense of humor or what? I mean, I just love that, right? And he gets this call to come to World Vision, and he doesn't want to do it. But as he's praying about it, he hears God say at one point, remember that 23-year-old young man? This is a chance to be him again. Now, World Vision goes all over the world and partners with God to revive all kinds of places of poverty. But in that story, who's getting revived? I think it's Rich Stearns. That's why here at Bell Prez, we say our purpose is to partner with Jesus as he revives us, the east side, and our world. And revival is not something we do. Jesus does it, but we can participate. And I believe revival, broadly defined, revival of marriages and neighborhoods and families and faith, I believe revival is coming to the east side. And that's not pastor talk. That's not it sounds good in a sermon talk. I actually really believe it. And I see stirrings of it. And I think it could happen. Now, I know some of you probably don't agree. Some of you are like, nah, uh, uh, no, no, nah, mm-mm, no, that's too big. No, not here and none church. No, mm-mm. well, I disagree. But let me just grant that premise just for a minute, okay? Let's just, just, just for a minute, even if we don't see full-on revival, you know what? I would still rather be a part of the ways that God is making all things new because it just makes life more interesting. It's like what we say to our kids when we watch the Mariners game. You know, the great thing about Mariners is they teach so many life lessons. And, and so one of them is, remember kids, better to strike out swinging than strike out looking. Right? And we get to teach that one a lot, turns out. And it is true. That is a philosophy of life, right? Even if full-on revival doesn't come, it is still better to be part of what Jesus is doing. Even if we don't get to play that last note of the scale, as in my you know, opening illustration, we can still play the notes along the way. And besides, I really believe revival is coming. I really believe revival is possible here on the east side. Let me give you some examples. I mentioned last spring the Jubilee Reach Center, which we started, was invited by the school district to run the sports programs in middle schools. And they use a biblical coaching model that emphasizes relationship and character more than winning. And the coaches become mentors and kind of stand-in moms and dads for these, for these kids. Well, the data is in, and almost all the kids who participated in the sports program, their reading and math scores have gone up to one, two grade levels with just, just in a couple of months. Not only that, but gang activity has stopped in the middle schools. And yes, there was gang activity in our middle schools. In fact, JRC got an email a few weeks ago from a principal saying it's even affected the entire school, not just the kids in the program. And that reading scores have gone up in her school as much as 25% in the last year. Now, what you've got to understand is a 5% increase in a school. That is amazing. That's phenomenal. 25% is a miracle. And she said, all of the, and that's just, that's just for the whole school. The stats for the kids in the sports program, way higher. And she said, none of this would have been possible without JRC 
and without Highland Covenant Church, a church that's been really involved. Is she stanking a church? And so now all the schools are saying, you know, we want more of you. Come on in. We want more. And, you know, as I said last, last spring, okay, when public schools in King County, we're not in Alabama here, okay, when public schools in King County start saying, come on in, you crazy Christians, I call that revival. But more importantly, behind all those stats is a kid. A kid who is getting the tools he needs to break the cycle of poverty, to get out of those, out of those change. And this is something government cannot do, and that's not a political comment, right? But because what's really changing these kids' lives is the love from those coaches. Love is what changes people, and you can't, it's kind of hard to start a government program just to love people. But we Christians follow the God who loved us all the way to the cross. This is what we can do. One of the coaches told us a story about a boy named Michael, and And uh, this coach will often go to class with Michael, will often help Michael after school, and Michael was having trouble with fractions. Well, this coach discovered that Michael learned better if he could put things in sports terms. So now the coach writes out problems like, if a basketball hoop is 10 feet, 8.5 inches high, and Kobe Bryant is 6 feet, 6.5 inches tall, how much distance is there from Kobe's head to the rim? And for some reason, Michael could solve the problem in those terms. Okay, more than clever tutoring, that is the love of a coach who is paying close attention to this kid and helping him become everything Jesus created him to be. Another organization out in the lobby today is Youth for Christ, and they're working with foster kids. Now, in this state, the state wants to get out of the foster care business for budget reasons, but it's also an effectiveness issue. Because sometimes when the church gets involved, reconciliation between the kids and the families becomes a little easier. Because it's more personal than a government program. And folks are bringing the love of Christ. And there's a theology underneath of reconciliation. That's revival. You know, it's similar to what we're doing with, with the Renew Homes for the East Guide Academy students. And globally in Rwanda through the Center for Champions. Or in Bolivia through Ninos con Valor. Giving homes to children who don't have homes. Home away home. Let me give you another example. Worship in the park. This summer, from the number of bulletins we handed out, we don't know, about 4,000, 5,000 people from 25 different churches or more showed up the, to this event. I, I thought it was awesome. We served together the day before, and then we worshiped together. And you know the stereotype of Christians is we're all just fighting over stupid stuff and competing with each other and all that. I think a gathering like this can start to change some assumptions out there. I mean, folks are going to have to ask, why would all of those churches work together? Why would they all worship? Aren't they in competition with each other to get more people? No. The devil is our competition. Other churches are our friends. Right? And historically, revival happens when, when, when churches partner together, which is why once a month I meet with other pastors on the east side to pray for revival. Because I really believe that we could see an outbreak of marriages being revived and folks in poverty being revived and kids who don't feel loved being revived as caring adults enter their lives and folks' spiritual lives being revived as they encounter Jesus. It is happening in other places in the world, Africa, Latin America, Asia, China. In fact, here is an interesting statistic. Did you know that the number of people involved in Christian things, churches, in China is 8%? The same number as here in King County, depending on whose numbers you take, 8%. You want to know what the difference is? In China, that number is going up. But I believe it could go up here as well. So what's your part of revival? 
Not just for the world's sake, yeah, that too, but for yours so that you can be revived. Unlock that inner radical trapped in a suburban body. You were made for more. You are more. This is what God created us for. And what I love about this church, what I love about you is so many of you are doing this in so many ways. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And keep it up. Yes, it can be difficult. Yes, it can be hard. But the rewards are huge. For others of you, maybe your call is one of those organizations in the lobby. Look around, take some time, and just see what God is up to. Or maybe it's not adding something to your schedule at all, but simply asking Jesus every day how you can be part of his rescue mission. And then, this is the hard part, keep your eyes open for the opportunities he sends your way. I got an email from a woman in our church who I will call Joan, and a couple months ago she was having her blood drawn. And the technician was this young woman in her 20s, and June noticed that, the tattoo, that she had a tattoo of a lily, and she, she, you know, she wondered if it had some kind of significance, so she asked, you know, does this tattoo have a significance or something like that? Technician said, yeah, it covers my shame. And went on to say that, that she had some stuff in her past that she wasn't proud of, but that she'd overcome, but the tattoos were reminders of her former life. So she said, I put a lily over this one. But then she said, I have another tattoo, and I can't afford to remove it yet, and every time I look at it, it reminds me of, of my former life. June said, well, that's when the Holy Spirit took over. I closed my hand around hers, and I said, honey, that tattoo is not your mark of shame. It is your badge of victory. God has made you new, and I think God might want to have you look at those tattoos in a different way, too. From now on, when you look at those tattoos, you can feel pride about what you've accomplished and all the ways that God has helped you in the past. They're symbols of a past left behind and a new life begun. Honey, they're not your shame. They're your badge of honor. June rocks. <laughs> June is awesome. She said, I watched as the lights literally came on in her eyes. And then they were silent for a minute and just kind of this holy moment. And the technician said, you know what? You got a point. Later, as June was in the waiting room waiting for a doctor's appointment, the technician came and found her again and said, I just want to let you know, thank you, thank you. That really changed my perspective on a lot of things. All June did was show up to a doctor's appointment that was on her calendar anyway, with eyes wide open to see how she could be part of God's reviving of all things. And she helped this young woman see, see just a little bit of who God was making her to be and helped this young woman revive just a little bit more in Jesus. And how much extra time did that cost June? Nothing. It was just part of her day. You know, in our culture, the word Christian is a political term and a divisive one at that. But you know what? That's not what Christian is. and It's not what it has to be. Yes, we're called to vote conscientiously, all that stuff. But the first Christians were called people of the way because of how they followed the way of Jesus. Not political people, not nice people trying to get their hindquarters into heaven, but people who walked in the radical, raging, reconciling, renewing, making new of all things, power of the risen Christ. To make up there, come down here. To bring back our lost home. To play that final note on the scale. And I believe Jesus is on the move in the east side in ways that a lot of people haven't seen in the past. To revive marriages and families, revive businesses so that they don't, they don't just impl provide employment. Sure, that too. But also a place for people to develop and grow. Revive people out of poverty. Revive folks out of addictions. Revive folks who don't know Jesus so they can know how deeply loved they are by Christ. And this is the perfect time in history to do it. Government cannot help people like it used to because the funds just aren't there. 
okay? But this is a great opportunity for the church, God's people, to step into the gap, right? And show who Jesus really is. Show people who the real Jesus is. If not us, who? If not now, when? I want to be part of that in big ways and in small ways. I want to live a life swinging for the fences rather than a life where I strike out looking because the God who oversees those first seven notes of the scale is faithful and will play that final note, will bring our lost home back. He will revive all things. And that includes you and that includes me. So Jesus, thank you for your reviving power. Lord, we ask that your power and your authority to revive would reign in this place. Lord Jesus, the marriages in this room that need revived, the families that need revived, the faith that need revived, Lord, all the things in this room that need revived, would you please do that? And teach us to be patient, Lord, and forgive us for the ways we don't participate. And Lord, out in your world, all those things, all those places you want to revive through us, help us to see those things not as obligations, not as duties, but as invitations you give us for an adventurous, exciting life as you make all things new. Thank you that you're the God that does that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.